You're listening to the O'Reilly Radar Podcast. I'm your host, Jen Webb. In this week's episode, O'Reilly's Max Slocum delves into the economy with two speakers from our recent Next Economy conference. First, Mac talks with Leah Buskey, founder of TaskRabbit, about service networking, TaskRabbit's goals, and issues facing the peer economy. In the second segment, Mac talks with Dan Turan, co-founder of Managed by Q, about the on-demand economy and the future of work. First, here's Leah. Enjoy the show. How did you come up with the concept of service networking? So it was a cold winter night (laughs) in Boston back in 2008. And I remember it was snowing outside and my husband and I were getting ready to go out to dinner when we realized we were out of dog food. And we had this 100 pound yellow lab named Kobe who we kept very well fed. And my husband and I are both in technology, and so we got thinking, wouldn't it be nice if there was just someone in our neighborhood who we could reach out to that could grab us this bag of dog food? Maybe they're even at the store at this very second, and we should be able to connect with them. Now, back in 2008, this is very early in mobile. The iPhone had just come out a few months earlier. No one was really utilizing location awareness yet in their applications. And then social was the other big technology trend that was just kind of breaking out of the college scene, becoming more mainstream. But as a technologist myself, I became really passionate about how do we mash up social location and mobile technologies to connect real people in the real world to get real things done. And I'd say in the last two years, it's become in real time. And so that's really the idea of where service networking was born. It was about utilizing those technologies to create a new network of people that are helping each other out to get tasks and jobs done. Conceptually, it sounds like a lot of the pieces you had originally thought of, they're now starting to come into place. But has mm-hmm. the, the fundamental idea changed at all over those years? It's a great question. So. Not really. I mean, I started this back in 2008, TaskRabbit in 2008, um, before the words the sharing economy even existed yet, right? That really became popular, I'd say, in 2010, 2011. And now all these economies have evolved over the course of the last seven or eight years. But um, the, the core mission of the company of TaskRabbit, which is to revolutionize the way people work on a global scale, hasn't really changed that much from the very beginning. I'd say we've we've evolved and we've certainly only scratched the surface with what we've delivered to date, but we still have that driving vision. You mentioned TaskRabbit's goal. Do you feel that it's to uh, provide work for, for people or to actually provide tools to help people work? Mm, another great question. Um, so a little bit of both, and here's why. So we took a, a space in industry services, um, and not just not really professional services, but uh, sort of everyday household services like house cleaning and handyman help and personal assistance, shopping deliveries. We took those types of services that were incredibly fragmented um, and really non-existent to the everyday user, everyday tasker, everyday supplier. Um, they didn't have access to a lot of that demand, a lot of those jobs in the sort of world before TaskRabbit existed. And so it's certainly our job to create a platform where that demand is generated so that our tasker community, our suppliers can find work. But I think even more than that, it is about building a platform and tools for our taskers to build out their own businesses. And I'll, I'll, I'll clarify with an example. So I see TaskRabbit.com and TaskRabbit, the mobile application, 
as just one way for our tasker community to find work on the platform. Mm -hmm. We also have um, created some partnerships with external parties like Amazon, for instance, where Amazon's utilizing the TaskRabbit API to send work from Amazon to our tasker community. So if you are ordering a flat screen TV, chances are you probably need it mounted. And if you can book and hire a tasker right in your neighborhood, right in your community at the time of purchase, then it's, it's shuttling work to that tasker in a different way as well. Interesting. What do you feel is the most significant issue that the peer economy is facing right now? And how do you think that issue is going to get resolved? Well, I mean, gosh, so over the last seven or eight years, um, this uh, economy, the sharing economy, the peer economy, on-demand economy, all these different uh, nomenclatures have come up. And I think to me what's been apparent is that the consumer mindset has shifted so quickly and so dramatically. I mean, I remember in 2008 when the iPhone just came out, um, people thought it would be crazy to jump in a stranger's car mm -hmm. and take a ride with someone. People thought it would be crazy to have a neighbor or handyman come into their house and hang shelves. And so early days, there was a big trust barrier to entry. Now, as the consumer mindset has evolved and changed over the course of the last five, seven, eight years, trust has been able to be bridged utilizing technology and um, creating trust between users is sort of uh, a challenge that's, of course, always going to be there and still there, but it's not the main challenge anymore. I'd say in the last couple of years, uh, the con consumer mindset has shifted into how can I get something I need, whether it's transportation, goods, services in real time? And that is a massive challenge from a technology standpoint, from an operational standpoint, from a matching standpoint. And so now it's all about these on-demand services and how can we deliver everything faster with the same quality or even better quality. So that's certainly another trend I've seen that's really come directly from the consumer mindset. So when I think ahead, what we're always thinking about at TaskRabbit is how is that consumer continuing to evolve? And how can we stay ahead of the curve there and continue to deliver what they need as their entire world is changing around them? Do you see the real-time component as primarily a technology issue? Um, no, it's definitely a technology issue, but it's certainly an operational issue as well. And it's, it's about allowing the tools and infrastructure for a tasker community like we have at TaskRabbit to not only make themselves available via the technology, but also to be able to stack their days and fill their days and understand where they are and what sort of work they want to get and defining their categories and work areas. And so there's a human component as well, which is, is, is part of the technology piece. So there's a bunch of different names for all of this on-demand economy, pure economy, sharing economy. Is there a particular phrase that you prefer to describe all of this? So I got to say, uh, because I founded the company so early on before the word the sharing economy even existed, it's definitely been sort of a an interesting, um, sort of a pet peeve of mine. <laughs> I'm just, uh, with enough, with right. all these new economies, right? It's like every year there's like a new economy right. to talk about. Um, one thing that I'm very cognizant of is I don't mind terms that describe the economy when it takes into consideration both sides of the marketplace. Mm. So I like the word the sharing economy because I feel like from the very beginning for me it was about neighbors connecting with neighbors and sharing resources, sharing skill sets, sharing time with each other. 
And I like that. Um, the other economies like on-demand economy, I feel like that's so one-sided. It feels like it's speaking more to the consumer. The gig economy, it feels like that's speaking more to the tasker. And so at TaskRabbit, we're really focused on creating a healthy, sustainable, long-term marketplace for both sides of our community. So I really like words that describe both sides at the same time. Great. Uh, last question for you. What people or projects are you following these days? Uh, there's so many interesting things happening. And I think particularly um, looking at how technology is influencing new industries that haven't really been disrupted or innovated against yet um, is something that's super interesting to me. So I'm thinking about a lot in healthcare, a lot in food tech, a lot in personalization around health and food and how we can utilize technology and information just to make our lives better. Well, thank you for being with us. Thanks for having me. You can find Leah on Twitter at L-A-B-U-S-Q-U-E. Now, here's Dan Turan of Managed by Q. Your company is a bit of an outlier in the on-demand world because you have employees rather than contractors. Why did you opt to go for the employee route? Yeah, it's funny. We, we get that question a lot, as you can imagine. And for us, it was a very simple decision. We wanted to provide the best service to our customers. And we found that in order to do that, we needed to have the best employees. And to have the best employees, we needed to be the best employer. And the only way we could do that was by providing kind of things that you can only do as an employer, things like training, benefits, career progression. So it just didn't make sense for us really to be able to deliver at the service level that we wanted to, to use contractors. So was there ever a thought to use contractors? Or was it clear from the beginning that, that so, the employee route was the best way so to So when we first started out, we weren't using contractors, but we were subcontracting to other companies. And we did that for a few months and realized uh, we had no control and the service level wasn't great. Mm -hmm. And that was when we kind of went through this evolution and thought and kind of had this aha moment of like, we're going about it the wrong way. Like, yes, we're a technology company, but we also need to embrace the fact that we're also a service company. And so, you know, we have sort of like two masters, like the people and the technology, and we need to be very good at, at both of them. We kind of got into it first, really looking at like product design and technology, and then realized pretty quickly that we couldn't be successful without really embracing our role as an employer. So we've seen considerable growth within the on-demand economy for companies that are going the contractor route. Do you feel like the pendulum's going to sw switch the other way at some point? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, it sort of has already. So, you know, following the ruling in California, we saw, I think, Instacart ship a few others uh, transition over or start to transition over. I think that will continue to be the case. You know, it's unclear, like, what the future is going to be from a regulatory standpoint. So we could also see, uh, you know, regulation shift that would favor using contractors. It's a little bit tough to say. My kind of perspective on what happened was Uber was wildly successful and everyone just kind of like took the bait and followed the lead. And so, you know, we had this when we were fundraising too, uh, that investors were pushing us to use contractors because investors are pattern recognizers. And so they saw like kind of on-demand labor marketplace and it was sort of prescribed as a one-size-fits-all solution, um, but it didn't really fit, you know, our needs. And I think we're seeing a lot of companies now struggle or go out of business and like, it's not really a one-size-fits-all. Uber has an amazing business model and an amazing business, but that model doesn't really, like the Uber for X paradigm is broken if you kind of blindly apply it to any industry. Right, right. What do you think would happen if employees, whether they're employees or their contractors, had access to the same tools and the same data that the companies have access to. What type of data? Just like uh, any any of the automation that happens, any of the uh, information that could help them to schedule themselves better, to mm -hmm. have more empowerment for what they want to do. 
Yeah, I mean, so that's sort of like the way that we've tried to position ourselves is taking the best of both worlds. So like the benefits of being an employee, but then also the benefits of on-demand work. And so we actually are sort of doing that where, you know, they're setting their availability through our operator app. And then we're using our systems to schedule them empathetic to when they want to work and also like where they live and which transit lines they're taking to the client accounts. So we're seeing like a lot of benefit by kind of opening that up and making it part of being empathetic as an employer. I don't know if that's exactly what you were. No, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. What do you think a mature on-demand economy looks like? It's a good question. You know, I think about that a lot because, you know, there's definitely a lot of, you know, all the discussion at, at this conference and similar conferences. And I think there's, you know, one view of the world that it's everything. And I think like when we're in San Francisco and we launched here a few months ago, it is definitely different the way people approach work. Like there's more of a a leaning towards gig work, like people prefer it. Whereas in New York, people we find our employees prefer the stability. So it's kind of tough to say. I don't know like uh, which is the future. Uh, I think there are definitely people that that want to believe uh, and they do believe that kind of the gig work is like the future of the on-demand economy. And I think there's other people that think it's a fad and I don't really have a, a strong opinion myself. I think it's interesting to see like use cases that really work and like Uber is a use case that seems to really work for pretty much everybody involved. It's not clear to me that there's a lot of other like, uh, yeah, that's going to be a hundred year company. Mm-hmm. Um, Uber seems to be like the only one. So I think we're pretty far from maturity and I'm not sure what it's going to look like. Well, that was my next question. What, when do you think that that happens? And is it going to be a circumstance where we don't really even have a sense of the maturity because everything will sort of find its own natural level, perhaps even geographically? Yeah, you know, I think like the other side of the coin is like, what does maturity in like the on-demand economy look like? Because part of the way, so a lot of the work that we do is scheduled, um, but we have the ability to do things on demand. And I think probably, actually, like this would be probably what I would say of what it looks like is on-demand becomes table stakes, right? Like Domino's has been doing on-demand pizzas for a long time. Yes, they just, have. <laughs> That's you know, a good it's point. Like, but this is all yes. it is, is like creating logistical software, yep. using mobile devices to do things better and faster. And I actually had this thought this morning, getting out of bed, that like the on-demand economy is just turning the world into a luxury hotel. When you're in a hotel, <laughs> like if you want like toothpaste, the concierge can run and get it or right. whatever. You know, if you're right. in a luxury hotel, they bring food to your room. Like they come and service your room while you're not in it. We're literally, all of the things that you think of in a luxury hotel are just being blown apart and brought to like, you know, <laughs> people's apartments. But yeah, I think it's like we will see traditional players be able to deliver at the service level because the building blocks are being put in place. So there's a lot of people now that are taking the software that was built to originally run companies like Uber or TaskRabbit or Handy, and it's being white labeled for use in other companies. So everybody's getting to play now. It's not just like you no longer have an edge for being able to develop the mobile app. Mm-hmm. So I think like probably the evolution looks like everyone's doing it and we're not talking about it because it's just part of how business sure. operates. Right. Last question for you. What people or projects are you following these days? That's a good question. You know, I've been obviously very interested in all of the the future of work discussions. And so unfortunately, my vision hasn't been much wider than that. Um, (laughs) So uh, I was at the White House a few weeks ago for a summit on Worker Voice and had an opportunity to meet the folks working on the Good Work Code we're presenting today. And I think there's a lot of interesting things happening in that space. I've been in touch with Natalie from Peers, who's working on portable benefits. You know, there's a lot of kind of interesting agitation in the space. And I'm not really sure what the future looks like. I know there's been a lot of talk about universal basic income, which I'm intellectually very interested in, but it seems like so far from reality. So Mm -hmm. I will say it's tough running a very fast growing company to have interests outside of uh, (laughs) making sure that the train stays on the tracks. Fair enough. Um, enough. But yeah. Great. Well, thank you for being with us. Thanks for having me. You can find Dan on Twitter at DPTuran. Thank you for joining us. If you like the show, remember to subscribe to the O'Reilly Radar podcast through iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, or SoundCloud so you never miss an episode. (laughs) 